God has a word. God has a word specifically for somebody here today. To all of us, to all of us in a general sense, but specifically, specifically to several. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. We're going to start in verse number 12. We're going to read four verses of Scripture. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Look at verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer. Now the word blaspheme there covers a wide range of verbal sins to rail, to revile, to curse. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause... I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern. I hope you're reading this in your Bible because these are not just these are not this is not just wasted verbiage here. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And I want to talk to us about patterns of mercy. Patterns of mercy. One more time, let's lift our hands and let's just recognize the name of Jesus and give him great praise. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you for the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God. Thank you for those that are visiting with us. Thank you for those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Pray for the work of the Holy Ghost and the word of God in this place today and we ask it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If I could get just a little bit more monitor. I will be happy. Hallelujah. It's a little better. There are some 
nuances in the scripture that we read today that are rare in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. One of the things that I think is a rarity is that he is articulating an extreme level of humility here. And I'm, I'm not saying or suggesting by that that the Apostle Paul was not humble. But this is a man that declared himself to be the chiefest of all apostles. And did not come behind in any revelation. He used the word mystery more than any other writer in the Word of God. The word mystery just simply means that which is undisclosed. And the Apostle Paul used that word in the context that he had the revelation and other people did not. But he is being very humble here when he says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I think it's very healthy that there are those occasions in our lives where we really are that, that humble. Where we really do have a real understanding that I can't speak about anybody else, but I know me, and I'm the chiefest of all sinners. I do not believe that that should be a factor where we condemn a person. I think that that is a factor that reveals the humility and the understanding of a person. The other thing that I feel like is a rarity in this particular passage is the fact that the Apostle Paul does not talk about very often, that's why it's a rarity, of what he was like B.C., before Christ. And in this particular passage, he gives us a few high points of how bad he was. Um, in fact, in verse number 13, he says, who was before a blasphemer. As I've already mentioned, that's everything from reviling, hating on somebody, to cursing. And a persecutor. That's everything from accuser to self-appointed punisher. He says, I was injurious, which if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, who was before he was Saul, he definitely was that. But he said, but I obtained mercy in view of the fact that I was a horrible human being. And he was a horrible human being to the effect that he was actually resisting people that were good. I mean, we need to qualify all that because 
He wasn't just a generalized blasphemer. He was a blasphemer against God, and he was a blasphemer against God's people. He wasn't just injurious, just in general. He was injurious against God's people. But he obtained mercy. And verse number 16 brings this mercy down, and it reveals a greater purpose for this mercy. Look at verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me, a blasphemer, a reviler, a person that was injurious against God's people, and an all-round bad person, Now, he thought religiously he was a good person, and you can find his credentials in the book of Philippians, where he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was raised with the Jewish silver spoon in his mouth. That is a healthy sound in a growing apostolic church. Hallelujah. For this cause I obtain mercy that in me first. Now what does he mean by in me first? I do not believe that we're dealing with an ego problem here, that Paul was being egocentric when he said me first. You got to get this because this, this to me is an incredible revelation that the Apostle Paul had. And I want to share that with you. Paul was not saying that I am the first apostle. Paul is not saying I am, the, I am not the first sinner that God saved. We know that none of those things would be true. The Apostle Paul wasn't even called until Acts chapter number 9. I believe that the Apostle Paul knew that in God saving me, that there's a whole lot of people that are just like me. That in me first... Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them. This is incredible. And it's made even more incredible when we turn to the book of Galatians, chapter number one. 
beginning in verse number 13. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That's an understatement. He was consenting unto Stephen. Stephen was an iconic figure in the early apostolic church. When you read his discourse and his preaching, he was incredible. He wasn't an orator. He was anointed of God. But as his blood spilled and he gave up the ghost, the Bible said that Saul was consenting unto his death. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. This is once again, he is revealing the potentiality that he had among the Jews. He was a scribe. He was, he was on fire among the Jews to the degree that he resisted Christianity to the point of people dying. In fact, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I want to do this. Go to Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, please, just because I want everybody to see this. This is, this is Saul before he's Paul, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Do you know what slaughter means? Slaughter means kill everything. Slaughter means to kill everything. Against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest to obtain letters. You know the story. He was on his way to Damascus and Jesus had a little conversation with him. So this is a bad guy. This would be like a killer. Um, this would be like a mass murder, a person that had license to kill people. Okay? So let's continue on in Galatians chapter number one. He's recounting this, and I'm, I'm helping my brother uh, the Apostle Paul tell all the truth here. Look at, the, look at verse 15, though. Now, let's go back to verse 14 and get a little bit of momentum. And profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. And that's why I wanted to add, even to threatenings and slaughter. But look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. What? What does that mean? We've just seen the Paul that was fully an adult. 
that was breathing out harm and slaughter to God's people. But here he's saying that God separated him from his mother's womb. Now, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile the fact that here is a grown man that is separating families, having husbands killed, children never seeing their parents again? Maybe he was even used to consign people uh, to death in other places. He certainly tried to do that, which is where we find him in, in Acts chapter number 9. But how do you reconcile the fact that he is injurious against God and God's people to the point of breathing out threatenings and slaughter, and yet he turns around and says, I was called and separated from my mother's womb. There's a huge discrepancy there. Could it be? And really, it's the only answer. But I propose to this audience this morning, could it be that God let him live his life to the point of becoming that type of a person with the intention of changing him later on in his life so that he would have the background Let's just go ahead and clap with everybody that wants to clap. Could it be that you're present here today thinking, I'm in the worst condition of my life. Situations are going on. I can't, compl- I can't explain. This is going on. That's going on. I'm empty. God knows I'm empty. I know I'm empty. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But yet, could it be that God knew from your birth? He said, I'm going to keep my hand on him. I won't let him die. I won't let anybody harm him. And when the time comes, I'm going to call him out of darkness for a pattern of mercy for everybody else out in this world that doesn't understand me, that is talking against the church that is injurious against me, that is a blasphemer, clap your hands and give God the praise. I am persuaded there are people under the sound of my voice that are patterns of mercy for everybody else out there. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph and give him praise. That is a biblical revelation in the scriptures. That Paul finally comprehended that the entire life that I have lived, there were unseen agencies that kept me alive until God could knock me off my high horse and blind me from the things of this world so that he could communicate with a hardened, prideful, stiff-necked, self-righteous, religious person. 
But when God got done with him, he got the revelation of understanding. There's a lot of people just like you and just like me and just like Paul in this world that are waiting on a pattern of mercy that can identify with the drugs and identify with being homeless and identify with disease and identify with drugs and identify with alcoholism and identify with a sexual orientation and identify with filth and identify with this world. You might as well just clap your hands and give God the praise. Some of you are here hearing from God right now. God would not let you die. God would not let you be killed. God would not let you be harmed because he's got plans on using you as a pattern of mercy. Pastor, why am I going through this? Why am I having to experience this? Why am I having to deal with this? This injustice against my personhood. Why am I having to go through this trial? Why am I having to go through this valley? Why am I having to fight this? Why am I having to confront this? Because God's going to use your experience to those that are behind you that will look at you and say, if she made it, I know I can make it. If he made it, I know I can make it. Don't whine. Don't complain, Paul. Don't whine about a prison cell. Don't, don't complain about your chain. Don't complain about the persecution. Don't, per, don't cry about the vow that they took to kill you. God's going to spare you. God's going to keep you alive. Somebody clap your hands and... He let you live because there's people in your world that are just like you. That's it. That's it. God won't let you die because God's going to say, I got a lot of other people out there that were raised on a church pew that are going to need your testimony. And you're going to be a pattern of mercy for hundreds and yea, even thousands of people. Because when you stand before him and say, I'm going to know right where you guys are at. I know right the pit that you're in. I know right the hole that you're in. I know right the condition that you're in. I know right the situation that you're in. But God brought me out. And God brought me out for one reason. To be a pattern of mercy. To be an example of grace. To be a trophy of his love. To be an expression. So just don't, just don't hope for a peachy keen life because you're not going to be greatly used of God if you get your peachy keen life. You'll be greatly used of God if you go through some things because you got people after you. When I think of the drunk driving, when I think of the times that I woke up and didn't know where the car was, didn't know where I was. When I think of some of the characters I ran with in this world that wouldn't have thought twice of pulling a gun out and say, there he is. He let me live. 
you're sitting here today, and God let you live for one reason, so that you could be a testimony to all those other people in your world. Come on. There's 500 people in the United States that will either die or be put in the hospital in an accident today in the, behind the wheel of an automobile. There's people dying of cancer. There's people dying of lymphoma. There's people dying all over the world. But God let you live, and God let me live to be a pattern of... Come on, we need a revelation to sweep through this house that goes beyond religiosity, that goes beyond the comfort of our conscience. I just don't know how to preach it any harder than that. I just, you're just going to have to go with it. Because this is my revelation for me. How in the world did people half my age die on drug overdoses that I survived? How was it that people that had the same disease and the same thing that God brought me through, but yet they died. How was it that I had three drunk driving convictions, two of them were head-on collisions, and yet nobody died and I survived? But yet it's happening every single day where the person will drink for the first time in their life and get behind the wheel of an automobile and end up killing themselves and other innocent people. How does that happen? How can I be here today? I'm not here because of good looks. I'm not here because of my education. I'm not here because I'm anything good. I am, I am the worst of all sinners. I am simply here to the 21st century to be a pattern of mercy that if God could change me, God could change anybody. God could heal anybody. God God can pull anybody. God will redeem anybody. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise and give God the glory. Come on, somebody, lift your voice. You are breathing today for one reason. Come on, clap your hands and give God... You're not, you're not breathing because you're smart. You're not breathing because you're intelligent. You're not breathing because you're rich. You're not breathing because you got influence. You're breathing to be a pattern of mercy. Somebody that's thankful, praise him. Somebody that's grateful, exalt him. Somebody that has a revelation, praise him. Somebody that's humble, lift your hands. Somebody... Go to that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just remain standing. This is how our world thinks. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many might. This is the apostle Paul writing this. He's considered to be in the top 10 smartest people that ever lived. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Next verse. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world. Maybe you're here today. You've been through one divorce, two divorces, three divorces. You can't keep a marriage together. You're wondering if God even loves you. You wonder if God even exists anymore. Oh, yeah, he exists. You're breathing for one reason. 
There's a person, there's thousands, there's tens of thousands of people in this world out there that want to know that God is real and God can bring them through the valley of the shadow of death. And there is another tomorrow and there's another blessing and there's another sunshine. You're breathing for one reason. There's a lot of people out there like Brother Tim Kilroy. Tall, dark, handsome. And all the single ladies say amen. I'm trying, Brother Tim. Well, he is all those things, and he's a lot of other good things, too. But see, the devil wants to snuff him out. See, when the devil comes against you, he doesn't talk about God's grace and God's mercy and God's long-suffering and God's loving kindness and God loves you and, and God's already covered it. The devil doesn't say that. The devil's, You know where the devil wants to take people? You want to know where the devil wants to take you? The devil wants you to pull the trigger. The devil wants a bunch of Judases that are saying, I've messed up so bad that there's no tomorrow. There's no hope. The devil wants Judas to live out in a church service, live out on a church pew. Just go ahead and end it all. There's no hope. There's no forgiveness. There's no tomorrow. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. I am here to tell you, you can be resurrected. You can rise from the ashes. You can rise from the... You are a pattern of mercy. Come on, let's lift our hands and give him praise. Come on, let's praise him. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody give him praise. Patterns. The way that a congregation begins to change their community is not by having bankers and lawyers and doctors pray through and Everybody's driving a brand new Mercedes Benz. If God does that and God blesses you, that's fine. But that's not what impacts a community. What impacts a community? When Joe, the town drunk, that's been in and out of jail and in and out of the newspaper, ran down a street naked, didn't know who his name was, put him in the psych ward, Bounced him through some mental health programs. Put him on a bunch of psychotropic drugs so he couldn't even tell you what his last name was. But somebody invites him to an apostolic church. And the power of God says, now is the time. Or you get a woman that's in that congregation that goes through relationship after relationship and her reputation with her family is damaged and her reputation with her co-workers is damaged and her reputation to herself is damaged and, and she's thinking she's going to lose her mind. But she comes into an apostolic church and God says, now is the time. That's what impacts a community is when people become processed 
to the point of the revelation of understanding. There's a lot of people out there just like me. God, I'm praying for them today. Lead them to Cornerstone. Lead them to me. Give me the opportunity. And I'll share your mercy. I'll share your grace. I'll share your long-suffering. Let's lift our hands and pray right now. Come on, it's a danger to think we're good. Come on, somebody lift your hands and pray right now. It's a danger to think we're good. It's a danger to think that we're good according to what we believe and know. God wants to get a lot more subjective than that. He wants to get a lot more personal than that. He wants to get it right down to the makeup of your character and the content of who you are. hour in which we live, I, fought, I fully anticipate that the greatest missionaries have never been sent out yet. The greatest evangelists have yet to be called. The greatest home missionaries are not on location yet. The greatest pastors are still awaiting their call. Because in the hour in which you and I live, God's one responsibility to humanity was that in every generation he's going to provide with a witness that can relate. Whether it's Noah building an ark, Paul that used to be a blasphemer, there's going to be people that were sexually abused convinced to be a girl or a boy when they were the opposite gender. Raised by lesbians. And when it's time, God will pull them out and say you're a pattern for everybody else that's coming in. Let's lift our hands you're a pattern of mercy today. This altar's open. There's people under the sound of my voice that God's already been talking to you. God's already talking to you about you getting out of your self-imposed comfort zone so that God can really use you. And God can get some value out of your earthly existence. And while we're just barely trying to survive 
in a group of our contemporaries, Jesus is saying, I have a much better role, a much bigger picture, a much bigger stage for you. This altar is open. You that are bruised, you that are hurting, you that are wounded, this altar call is for you. Come on, Cornerstone. Come and let's find somebody to pray with. Let's find somebody to pray with. Somebody that something is being birthed on the inside of them that'll catapult them into a fresh anointing. Jesus, forgive me for just trying to fit in when you're trying to get me to stick out. <laughs> 